Welcome to 10,000 More, the podcast that explores the topics of grief, mental health, love, and everything that intertwines that all together. I'm Ruby Falk, and whatever it is that brought you to me, I'm very grateful for it. Welcome back. Um, today I am joined by Marin, who has experienced a lot of loss in a, in a relatively short period of time. Um, in 2011, she lost her father. And then in 2014, she lost her mother. Um, and I have invited her today to share her story. And yeah, Marin, I'm going to turn it over to you. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. It's really just an honor to be able to have this time and share about my parents and yeah. just the impact that their death has had on me. Yeah. So I'm going to turn you take it away. Yeah. Share your story. So uh, I would say that I had an inkling once randomly when I was maybe 19, just walking. And I thought to myself, you know what would be the worst thing that would happen if my dad died? just out of the blue. And I feel like that was sort of a, um, what we would refer to as like a transpersonal experience, Mm -hmm. this connection of some sort of knowing. And so later, um, a few years later, when I had just graduated college, um, to find out that my dad had died, um, just completely rocked my world. I think you've spoken to a lot of those aspects here. Um, and I, at the time in my life, being in my early 20s um, and starting a new career and moving to Colorado for the first time just days before he died, I I didn't want to be the grief girl. I didn't want to introduce yeah. myself that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that I was picking up on vibes from others that it's uncomfortable and that people would treat me differently. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah, say that. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then when... My mom died unexpectedly, I um, even more unexpectedly. I felt like it was really doing a disservice to me to not tell people what was going on for me and to keep those emotions in. I was reading Brene Brown at the time. Preach. Love her. <laughs> Daring greatly. And was thinking about this idea of like uh, living full-heartedly and uh, being vulnerable. And um, I was a classroom teacher at the time and decided to open up about why I had been gone and, um, and told my, my kids and tried to bring more emotional learning into the classroom and ultimately decided that life is short, um, as it was for my parents and that I wanted to do something uh, that felt more personal and more connected to people. And so I took a while, it wasn't immediate, but I left the classroom, um, feeling that I wanted something a little more intimate and, um, spent some time grieving and getting to know myself and being really ill. Yeah. And then ultimately switched over to a psychotherapy program mm-hmm. uh, at Naropa okay. in Boulder. Wow. I don't, there's so many directions I want to take right now. For one of the things that's sticking out the most to me is what, how did your kids in your school receive that like raw, vulnerable side of you 
because I feel like teachers, I'm thinking as when I was a kid, if I, it's like seeing your parents upset. It like, you're like, oh God, now I'm supposed to be upset. Oh no, you're supposed to be like the solid steady one. What, like, what do I do? How do they handle it? I think that they are really resilient. Just yeah. like, like all yeah. kids are more resilient than we give them credit, yeah, I think. totally. And for me, I was with middle schoolers. And so I felt like that was an appropriate age where um, they would have enough sort of emotional resourcing to be able to handle it. And I think that they had conversations. I essentially opened it up in just small community communications between them at their little table groupings and asking them about what their experiences with death were and what that was like. And just trying to pull some of the emotions that they were experiencing Mm -hmm. and in a way sort of offer myself an excuse of here's why I'm going to be acting a little differently and here's how I might be impacted. And, um, and I would say, uh, that it helps that communication in our classroom and, um, and, I think ultimately when we're in a position of leadership or power and we're role modeling for others that it's actually not as helpful to say I'm strong and perfect and I can handle this and that it is more helpful to show here's what it looks like when stuff happens because it does. And here's what it looks like for me to let those emotions go through me um, and also carry myself how Mm -hmm. I want to be carried and how I want to be seen in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and that didn't mean necessarily like breaking down in front of my class. Though I yeah. was afraid I might. <laughs> I'm afraid I'll do that on a daily basis in front of people. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. And I, I do regularly yeah, now, totally. especially, yeah. but, um, but it, it just meant, yeah, that, that rawness was more of, um, in the form of language, I think, than, yeah. than emotion with the kids of just like trying to break that mold a little bit. I think it's important that we grieve together yeah. and that's something that was completely foreign to me, um, this idea of being open about that instead of sort of like hiding away. Yeah. So I want, I want to talk a little bit about the, the time frame. You lost your dad in 2011. You said it was relatively sudden. How did that, like, how did, what did that healing look like? Mm. You had three years. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah. I don't. The, the types of death were also really different. I feel yeah. like it, it'll be helpful to uh, share that a little bit for some context here. So um, my dad had been born with um, kidneys that didn't quite work right, mm. um, ultimately leading to kidney disease. And so he had been sort of finding the right balance and using medications and having doctor's appointments his whole life. And, um, when I was a freshman in college, um, he started to experience more like, um, cognitive downfall and memory Mm. was going at sort of too young of an age. And, um, they realized that he was going into renal failure. And so he started doing, um, dialysis at home and, um, I remember that just being tough, uh, in general. Yeah. And so I can relate to people when they have, um, more anticipated deaths, um, as well. I right. just feel like th- I, there were some times where I would just, um, you know, be putting on my little mask while we're sitting in the living room watching a show and he'd have his little mask on as yeah. he's like changing out dialysis tubes or whatever yeah. they were. And, um, I remember at the time live journal was really big and I oh remember <laughs> writing yeah. a blog that only I could see about 
um, how painful it was to watch him go through that. Mm. And at the same time, I was really proud of him. Um, he, let's see, let's get the timeline right. So I studied abroad in Australia as a part of my college experience. Okay. So it was about six months. And I was told, I think the night before I left, I went, um, I had dinner with my mom and dad and they were mostly just celebrating how excited they were uh, for me to do this. Um, and they also shared, um, by the way, uh, we're considering getting your dad a transplant, um, a kidney transplant. And before he can do that, uh, insurance needs him to have this heart surgery so he can be approved. Um, Cause I guess he had um, a clogged artery that they were concerned about for the okay. transplant operation. Right. And so that's going to be happening while you're away and it's not a big deal and it'll be fine. Um, but just wanted to let you know. And I think at that age I was 20 and was thinking like, okay, well there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. And, um, but it was really hard to be that far away. Yeah, of course. And so there were complications from that surgery, um, which I think wouldn't have happened if he had already had a kidney transplant. So there's sort of like, oh. um, the irony there, yeah. um, and ultimately, he was on bed rest for several months um, wow. and very slowly shifted through different levels of healing physically for himself mm -hmm. there, too. Um, and I was just really grateful that he was still alive when I came back from yeah. Australia. And I remember things like, um, like massaging um, his feet since he hadn't been walking and um, just like these long-term care sort of things that I never thought I would have to yeah. have to do. And then, um, before you know it, um, about a, a year had, had gone by and he had healed enough to come home and had started going back to work and had, um, certain weird things that he had to do, like avoiding the buses because there were too many germs and, um, doing random health routines at home, but everything felt more or less normal. Um, and so when it was my senior year of college, and um, this was really just following the recession and where there was um, definitely, for me at least, a mindset of scarcity, mm -hmm. um, I took a job that um, was teaching and um, was with a nonprofit that provided alternative licensure and relocated me to Colorado. Mm -hmm. And so I knew this was happening and was really excited and was so glad my dad was feeling better and I had plans to come back for his transplant. Um, so when he died just a couple days after I moved, um, it was a totally normal day for him. We still don't know exactly what caused it, but um, yeah, he had, um, you know, he had mowed the lawn. He had given my mom a foot massage. They watched, I think, the Tonys. <laughs> and, um, and then he went to sleep and he died in his sleep. And... Um, I was just left in this place of like, they refer to it sometimes as a liminal space, just in between yeah. um, being this daughter at home grieving and also being so excited for my future yeah. and um, still working hard to find a job and make a place for myself in the community that I had just moved to with yeah. my whole Toyota yeah. Corolla full of belongings. <laughs> yeah. And my dad was a really hard worker. Uh, he grew up in new England and um, has a really good work mentality and I decided I wanted to go the route that I had already carved and uh, sort of in his honor. I yeah, wanted to continue totally, that. Absolutely. And so to speak to your question, <laughs> I think that my healing very much looked like not healing for my dad. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say that it was the wrong choice to continue on my path and be um, 
you know, in a different state um, from where my mom and my sister were. Mm-hmm. And while I was learning this new career and um, teaching during the day and going to school at night, and um, I just powered through essentially. Yeah. Um, and then when it came to this, my very first summer break after my first year of teaching, uh, my body started to break down. I remember I had whooping cough and oh um, I just kept getting sick over and over and over. And I feel like in some ways I'm grateful for that because it gave me time to grieve yeah. because I couldn't do anything else. Yeah. And so Interesting. I would have these long sort of droughts of feeling of just numbness and yeah. like throwing myself into my workhorse identity. And, wow. um, and then I would say I started to find a little bit more balance, maybe a year and a half after my dad died. Um, but still very much in this mindset of like, a lot of people have a parent die, you know, this is normal life and really minimizing my experience yeah. and yeah. didn't seek therapy. Um, my mom was actually a therapist and, uh, and yet I feel like the culture, even within our family was still that, you know, you can handle it on your own, like be tough. You got this. And yeah, that's very American. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's so, that's so, I, I, ugh, I so relate to that, that like, I remember talking to my therapist about that after I lost my dad, that like, I shouldn't be sad. Like so many people lose their dads. So many people go through even way worse losses and they'll lose like tons of people or in a worse way or whatever. And I would just, and she was like, so like that doesn't, so what you don't does like, so you can't be sad because, and I just, and I still struggle with that. I remember still, especially now hearing other people's stories who I think are like, worse quote than mine. Yeah. That I just, I really struggle with that. I'm like, Oh, I don't deserve to be sad about this. Like so many people have it worse than me. Yeah. Which it's, it's not fair. It's toxic for yourself. And yeah, but yeah, I, since I've had that career switch and have been looking more at the therapeutic side of things myself, I feel like the attitude we have towards ourselves is so impactful in our healing. And I know for me, um, I don't know that I ever said like toughen up to myself, but that was my MO. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And for the death with my mom, I felt uh, like it was really different because not only was I losing my mom, who I felt um, was my sort of second best friend um, and who I really felt, um, like I don't feel spiritual in any way really other than the connection that I had with my mom. Mm -hmm. And so not only was I losing her whom I was so close to, um, but also it was just compounding with the loss of my dad, um, that I really hadn't grieved. Yeah. And so something had to be done differently. I didn't want to bottle it up anymore. And, um, I sort of carried out the school year and, um, just noticed that my drive for um, working in public schools and um, trying to be in the system that felt um, really political and like kind of broken and this drive to like change it and like face these hard things and be strong uh, just really softened. And I thought, yeah, "Yeah, life is short and I want to do something different. And so my, my grief looked really different in that space between um, leaving teaching and figuring out what was next, um, 
I'm so grateful for that time. And it was also like the lowest points that I've had. Yeah. And understandably. Yeah. I, I found out that, um, I actually had this autoimmune condition that, um, was triggered. I thought by the stress of losing my, my parents, um, and that attacked my thyroid, which impacts mood. And so I, you know, having never lost both my parents before, I thought that being flat on the couch, um, for days at a time and, um, you know, and bawling, um, was like, well, this is grief. This is what my grief looks like. Okay. Um, and not until several things sort of lined up and I realized I should actually go to the doctor and see what's going on for me. Did I realize, oh, I am grieving. That was very true. Those feelings were very real. Yeah. And the way that it was being expressed was um, exacerbated in a way where I couldn't function in my normal life. Yeah. And um, so I started um, both uh, taking uh, just a closer look and more attention to my physical health to support my emotional health. And um, I directly focused on my emotional health and found this amazing therapist and um, just started thinking like, okay, I've saved up some money. I can, I can just heal a little bit while I figure out my plan. Yeah. I did some travels and just felt generally more open, whereas I felt so scared and closed with my grief of my dad. And I think some of that mimics which parent it was that I lost too. I think that my mom um, was generally more expressive and open. Yeah. And like I said, she was a therapist, like very connected with her emotions and her intuition. And um, I felt like I was in this sort of trippy spiritual place, yeah. um, you know, in therapy being instructed to really let it out and, you yeah. know, let the whales come from my belly. And I'm <laughs> like, what is this stuff? This is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> and ultimately did a grief ritual just was really opening my mind to like, well, yeah. you know what? Nothing's going to hurt. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm going to try something yeah. out and, uh, went to this amazing grief ritual put on the, by, uh, the grief support network out in Boulder. And it was with, uh, the late Saban Fustome, who was from the uh, Daguerre tribe, uh, in, um, Burkina Faso in West Africa. And this sort of workshop slash ritual in which I saw all these other people grieving all sorts of different losses, um, made me realize that, uh, different cultures have different ways of doing things yeah. and that we can learn a lot from each other. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize the power of, even with these strangers, I didn't know comforting me. Um, I felt some sense of mm. healing and some like inner peace that I hadn't felt. Wow. Um, especially since, you know, I, I've heard you speak about how, um, people would just say like some dumb stuff yeah. to you yeah. and, um, <laughs> or like well-intentioned, but right. like harmful right. sometimes stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. for me, I, um, I could relate to that with like, uh, more distant, um, sort of people in my life, uh, maybe people who worked at my school, things like that. Yeah. But ultimately I really felt abandoned. Um, and, and part of it is that I was just living in an entirely different space than where I grew up. And so nobody knew my parents. Right. Um, oh, yeah. and so, uh, I was really disconnected from that and it, it was almost like I could sort of pretend it didn't happen. And very much the thing of it not being real was constant. Um, so just going back to this ritual piece, it felt like such a contrast in my life to have other people who got it to some degree supporting me, a stranger to them, um, yeah. in really intense emotions. And I started to realize that what I needed to be for my health 
everybody's different, but for me, like being authentic, leaning more into my softer side, um, was what I needed to, to heal. And that I had sort of had this like tough woman persona in teaching that helped me fight the politics and sort of command a classroom and cover up for some of my insecurities about being a new teacher. And that I just needed to drop a lot of those personality traits and warm up to the side of me that, um, that was vulnerable and that didn't know what was next and, um, needed to ask for help sometimes. Mm. Is that foreign to you? Uh, was it foreign to you? I guess I generally. Say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I really owned this idea of like, I'm independent. Like I remember, uh, going to college, but was just going across town, really not going far away. But I had this idea of like, I'm an adult now yeah. and like bugging. I'm kind of glad I did this in hindsight, not knowing I'd lose my parents, just bugging them, like bugging my mom. Like I want recipes, get me recipes and bugging my dad, like teach me how to change a tire. Yeah. Like I need to know these things. Yeah. And, um, and just wanting to be totally self-sufficient. Yep. Um, and a lot of that was fear-based. I think I just wanted to protect myself and felt like, well, if I can take care of myself, then even if you know other people reject me or don't want to help me, then I'm okay. Yeah. And like anything else, it's both and. Like, yes, I'm glad that I have a lot of those skills. And it's been so helpful to, uh, to find relationships, like romantic relationships, friendship relationships, where uh, because I feel that I can ask for help, they feel they can ask for help. And there's just like deeper connection there um, that I really didn't understand growing up. Wow. Do you think that, so you mentioned you were like channeling your dad just based on the losses. You sort of handle each loss differently. Mm-hmm. You said your mom was like very open. She was a therapist. She kind of knew what to do with her emotions. Do you think that you then were reflecting her in that loss? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think that I was. I think, um, you know, it's funny hearing that back because uh, I generally think of my mom as being so emotionally healthy and yet... Uh, she and my dad were incredibly close. They had the same birthday. They mm. were, um, you know, they had been married a really long time. I don't even remember at this point. I think over 30 years. Mm. And um, and so when she lost, like I lost my dad, but she lost her husband. She yeah. lost her partner. And um, I'm guessing they would have described each other as soulmates. Mm. Um, and so in her, I really felt like I had started to lose her already just yeah. in grieving my dad. And so I lost her a little bit in that, in that, um, she actually surprised me in being like less open about sharing and less wanting to connect with people. And like, she did do more of like sort of closing off her heart, um, mm-hmm. and not in a mean way, but just protecting herself. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, so sometimes when people ask me, um, Oh, how did your mom die? I don't, I don't have an official answer. Um, I, I just remember that, um, I was on a hike and had this visceral feeling that I needed to check in with my mom, just this feeling of concern. Mm. And I got down to the trailhead and right there, I just like called her and she answered and she was fine. And she was, you know, telling me like, Oh, you know, it's, uh, it's like a little, dusty outside and lots of pollen and, you know, telling me about her dog and telling me about the soccer match that was coming up that she was going to watch. Um, and I felt 
sort of silly and like didn't tell her that I had had a bad feeling at all. I was just like, okay, just, you know, love you. Bye. Um, and then, uh, I called her, I think two days later, um, because I was dating someone new who I was falling in love with and I wanted to bring him home and I wanted to for the holidays. And this was September. So it was getting towards that time where we'd need to buy flights. And, um, so I wanted to call and ask sort of for her permission to like bring this person back. And, um, she didn't answer Mm -hmm. and I just felt more deeply that intuitive sense that something was wrong and being so far away. Um, you know, she was back in Oregon, um, me in Colorado, um, my sister living in Washington at the time. Um, I didn't really know what to do because my mom is, um, and always was a, a private person. And, um, so I thought like, okay, maybe she just like went away to the coast for a little bit and she's out of cell service, but it was very unlike her to not give me her play by play of what she was going to be doing and where she would be. And so I had that bad feeling return again and called, uh, my, uh, best friend's mom, who was also my mom's best friend and, um, asked her to go check on her and just hearing the, the situation described of seeing the porch light on as if it was night when it was daytime, seeing packages that had piled up on her porch and hearing the dog barking inside. And, um, so she had just died in her sleep. And I mean, I knew when she described that scenario, like, no, like my, my mom has her routines and she takes care of things like something's not okay. Um, my sister and I were both relieved that it wasn't that she had like been injured and had been stuck somewhere without help. Um, and, but I just knew that she was gone and, you know, it says cardiac arrest on, um, on both my mom and dad's death certificates, but that just means that they died. Like it means they died and, um, they didn't do an autopsy. So I don't know what happened. Um, so now I work in a center for grieving children and their families, um, in the Denver area. And part of our process is checking in with our death losses as well to just normalize it for all the kids and clients there. And, uh, it was a real challenge to think, how am I going to put into words what I just told you to this group um, of kids in a way that feels empowered and, um, and honest and concise. And so I say, you know, my, uh, that my dad died of complications related to kidney disease Mm -hmm. and, that my mom died of unknown causes in her sleep. And that so doesn't capture it. Right. I like, I'm just so, um, honored and in awe of your podcast here too, because I think that, um, real healing comes in the storytelling aspect. I've seen that for my clients. And I know for me, when someone cares to ask how it happened, like I feel more connection with that person. Wow. I get to have the agency to frame these stories how I want to and what feels true to me. And I'm sure if you had asked me these same questions right after they died, I would have different ways of phrasing it mm-hmm. and feel really differently about it. Ugh. I, I'm, I'm having like, I'm sorry, like a really hard time mm. just because of what you said about, um, the soulmate aspect was really similar to my parents as well. Yeah. And I just remember not knowing how to be there for my 
mom, who I'm also extremely close to. And, and, um, and I was also so close to my dad. He was, we were just really, really connected. And so when you were saying about calling your mom, like I was repeatedly calling my dad the day he died and he wasn't answering. And I just, I always, I used to talk about this with a therapist. I always thought my dad was going to die. I remember being young every time I, he would call or I would get a call from someone cause I moved across the country after college. Um, and I just remember getting calls and my, it would be my mom or my dad. And I would just say like, what's the matter? What's wrong? And they'd be like, nothing like, Oh my God, Ruby, it's okay. What's the mm. matter? And I just like, I just knew. Yeah. And I didn't know how to support my mom because we were grieving two different people. I'm mm. grieving my dad. She's grieving wow. this partner, yeah. this person she like built her entire life with. Mm. She had kids with. She they were supposed to do everything together. Like it's just I ugh. Yeah. Um Yeah. But I want to go back to something you said about when people ask ask you how you how they you lost your parents it's so interesting to me we have such different reactions to that Mm. I think of it as such a a personal sort of like what's it to you Mm. kind of question and you think of it as like this is my chance to tell my story Mm. which I love and I want I want to like adopt that mentality (laughs) because I, I think that's a it's more pleasant and positive and b it's so power. It gives you a lot of power. Mm. And I love that. How did you like come to that? I think <laughs> like, some of it, um, I think for me, because I just so badly needed people to be there for me. And I, yeah. I didn't feel like I had people there for me. Um, particularly after I lost my mom, I think, um, they there just, were like, a couple of people. What to do. Yeah. Like, and I don't want to dismiss the people who did help me of because, yeah. um, but largely a lot of close relationships, Spanish. I mean, you know, it's like so funny that we call it ghosting, but yeah. like yeah. that's that's how it felt yeah. that that people just disappeared. And I think a lot of it is because they had this fear um, that they were going to say the wrong thing, um, or that they couldn't relate, and that it just made them feel too awkward. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when people did care enough to check in in any way, um, sometimes it would be like for me, I I don't identify as being super religious, and so you know, people would say things like it's part of God's plan and uh, these sorts of things. And I just had to, like, I just realized that this is being the griever in any sort of situation. It's like, you can choose how to define it. They get to do, they're going to have their reaction. They get to do what they're going to do. And so for me, it's like, okay, you know, breathe. Yeah. (laughs) Take a look at the intention. Mm. Like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And you know, that doesn't match for me because they don't know me super well. So like, it didn't feel super healing to hear those things, but I loved that they wanted to say something and that they wanted to be there for me in some way. And so when people ask, um, I, uh, I feel like it's always my choice to say no. Um, and yeah, just like any, I think being in, in school to become a therapist was helpful here too. Um, especially since a lot of my sort of theoretical orientation was more with individual clients. And a lot of that method is, well, the world's going to do what it's going to do and you get to have your reaction. And 
you can choose what you want to do with your reaction and respond accordingly. And so being able to just like slow down and be like, okay, how do I want to frame it with this person? Do I want to grow closer with this person? Can I trust this person? Mm -hmm. Um, and sort of going from there. And, uh, so people, yeah, people can ask and it's my job to know where my boundary is as far as what I want to say to them. Um, yeah, it might be like today I don't feel like it. Um, and so maybe I wouldn't say it quite like that. It might, it might be like, um, you know, I just don't feel like I'm in, um, the shape to talk about it right now, but maybe later or like, thanks so much for asking me about that. I tend not to share that with people. Um, or do you have time? Cause it's hard for me to, to summarize. Wow. Um, and I think, um, that is just like, I, I have a tattoo of, um, of a key on my ankle. Oh yeah. And it is, uh, I love this tattoo because it wasn't actually my idea. It was my sister's idea. And I think that our parents' death has really brought us closer, mm-hmm. even though we're living our own lives and we're living in separate states, that she thought, let's get this key tattooed on us. And it's our house key from our parents' house. And, um, you know, she has hers in a different place and she can choose sort of how she wants to frame it. But what I loved about this was I'm never going to grow tired of this. Like, I'm never going to change my mind that yeah. that home is where I grew up. Yeah. And I love the people that I lived loved in and yeah. Yeah, got to yeah. live with in that home. And uh, I love that. And I love that I can tell people what it means. So um, when people who I don't know at all are like, oh, cool tattoo. What's the key mean? And sometimes I would just be like, it's my spare. And like, <laughs> brush it off. Yeah. And other times... Um, I would be like, oh, this is a person who's asking and wants to get to know me better. Yeah. And this is a person that I have some inkling of faith in or trust that they're not going to use this story against me or um, in some way mock me for this experience. Um, wow. Which I'm learning as I work with with youth who have experienced the, uh, the loss of a loved one um, or of any sort of special person in their life. Um, kids get bullied for being bereaved, oh which blows what? my mind. Yeah. Kids get bullied. And so often what causes that um, sort of this clamming up nature in our culture is this fear that it's going to be used against them. And I realized I actually held that fear too, not consciously, but that it somehow made me like a weaker person and that someone would like use this against me. Right. Uh, And in reality, like how amazing to know that I am imperfect and have these things happen in my life. And actually it means nothing about me that my parents died. It's just like a reaction that I have to experience. Um, yeah, I, I think about this a lot because of the stigma that I have certainly attached to suicide and I'm, I'm learning how to detach it Mm. when it comes to, I've, I talked about this with you before that like, you know, there's something from my perspective, there's something pure and like something pure about losing someone to from not to natural causes mm. that just makes the person comforting the mourner say like oh my god i'm so sorry whatever but then when you hear it's suicide it just sort of sh- sort of shifts into like well something must have been really wrong or mm. like wow things must have been really bad at home your relationship must have been strained so then that, I, f- I, feel, I feel this need then when people ask, 
you know, how did you lose your dad? Now I, I tend to be more honest because I want to remove the stigma and say like, Mm -hmm. I lost my dad to suicide. But then I also want to qualify it and say, but he was amazing. And he was just like so wonderful. And we were so, so close. And my parents had an incredible marriage and blah, blah. And they're like, okay. And then they like slowly back away. (laughs) So it's just like, I teeter that line too, but from Mm -hmm. such a, it's got to be like a little bit defensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and like, I want to reframe that as protective, you know, like, I feel like that makes sense that, uh, you have those fears of like, well, am I now distancing myself from this person by telling them this information because they don't know how to handle it. And that's real. And I, I think about the fact in your case that you didn't know sort of the true cause of death initially. Right. Right. And how for a lot of people, even when they, um, they do know right away that a uh, cause of death was suicide. Right. It feels like a complete shift of understanding of, of like, I did not think they'd do that for others. They might be more prepared. Maybe they saw more sort of signs, quote unquote, like in their mental health experience. Right. Um, and for some, it's a complete shift of understanding of who that person was and what your relationship was and causes a lot of questioning. And I can only imagine having that experience and originally thinking that cause of death was different Yeah. and, um, and just trying to sort of bridge that gap. And like, I think about, um, like never knowing what the cause is, uh, for, for my mom, like having no idea yeah. what happened and just like trying on new stories. Like I would. I would tell people, well, I think that she, um, like didn't fully work through her grief of my dad and that I want to process my grief, um, and, uh, sort of honor her in that way of getting to, um, be, be more open to that experience and, and sort of see it through. Um, and, uh, I, like, I remember wondering, like, was it suicide? Like if there was no reason, then like how... Like, how did it Why happen? Else? Why? Every, Why does this happen? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I remember, you know, my sister being like, she wouldn't do that. And but I was also like, I feel like anybody could do that. You yeah. we have no idea. No one's immune. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that happened to be the case for my mom. Um, and it, it could have been, yeah. I don't know. How does that sit with you? Not knowing. Do you care? Some people just like, wouldn't care. I mean, I think... I've more come to terms with it now. Yeah. I think it's actually been helpful. Um, that's like one of the reasons why talking it through has been helpful yeah. uh, to be like, yeah, some people just don't know. Yeah. You just yeah. don't know. And for some people, um, I know I have uh, a friend from my hometown who's, uh, whose dad went missing and disappeared. Oh my God. And it was years ago. And so while there are still this like yeah. sense of hope, there's this complication to their grief of like, right. But maybe. What if? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't live with that. Although there was always this piece of me that just knew. Mm, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. My dad, I also, speaking of caring what other people think, I remember t- when I would tell people deciding who I wanted to open up to about the cause of death was, you know, I'm, he was what we decided as a family terminology wise was he was killed in a misfiring accident at a shooting range. Mm. And I remember, I remember saying that to people and I was thinking if I heard that, I'd be like, no, he didn't. And maybe that's because I was thinking, no, he didn't. Mm. And I just, 
I just knew it. I remember my mom, when my mom, the truth finally came out that I was just, I just repeatedly said, I knew it. I knew it. And there was like this sense of relief because his death certificate said one thing and I just refused to accept it as truth. Yeah. And then I also went back and forth with it with my therapist because she was just, you know, she was trying to help and, and she was wonderful. Um, but just sort of like, does it matter at the end of the day? I don't know. Hmm. I mean, yeah, to me, yes. But like in the great big picture, maybe not. I don't know. These are all just such like lofty questions. But I also think that's just grief. Like it's just, they are lofty questions. They are what ifs. They are, does it matter? Mm -hmm. You know? And I feel like that just reminds me so much of like my initial work when I really started to turn towards grief instead of kind of like immediately integrating it without looking at it and exploring it in in therapy. um, That I was like, well, what is the point? Um, And especially coming from an angle that was not religious and not having sort of guidance on this issue and not having my parents to go to, to be like, so what do you think about death? You know, like I I had never had these conversations. My parents very intentionally raised both of us in a, like, if they ask about it, we'll talk about it way. Um, But like, don't ask, don't tell with religion. (laughs) And I appreciate that. I feel like it taught me to sort of think for myself. And I also wondered all the time, I wonder what they would believe about this. I wonder how they would feel about this. Um, And there was a time a period of time where I was exploring more of my roots and sort of like culture and, uh, and religion. And, um, I realized what I was really looking for was meaning. Like, what is the point? Yeah. Why, why? And I felt really angry at this idea that, um, that the meaning was somehow for me because I'm like, this is their life that ended. Like mm. my mom and dad died, their lives ended. That does not feel right that it would be like for a purpose for me to yeah. learn something. Yeah. I hated that. I hated that yeah, so much. Yeah. And then I learned about uh, Viktor Frankl and Man's yeah. Search for Meaning and was like, oh, like a light bulb clicked. Oh, okay. We, we're searching for meaning, but really we can make our meaning. Yeah. And that was, I think, the biggest realization when I was able to more like kind of embody that mindset. That's very Um, empowering. Yes. Yes. And originally when I uh, switched gears and wanted to become a therapist, I did not want to work uh, with grief. I was like, that's too close to home. Mm, Um, I will support teachers because that's the life I know. I'm going to support teachers and nurses and first responders and people who are really sort of on these front lines experiencing what we call vicarious trauma and, uh, and support them in their efforts. And that way it can be like, um, the good spreads through them. Like if I can support them and keep doing their work, um, which is also like (laughs) this very like self-centered version of like, well, then I will be doing more good. No, um, I mean, I, I get it. I also love that you could say that teachers are on the front lines because I very much believe that. Shout yeah, out teachers yeah. if you're listening. Yeah, yeah, Thank teachers. You. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, and so for me, I originally had that mindset and then I started realizing, you know, I don't feel like that brings me as much fulfillment and as much meaning, um, that it would just be so much more helpful to see what's there for me to sort of transform what I've learned and experienced and just offer it, even if the way I offer it is just understanding um, to folks who have experienced death loss. And 
sometimes I won't understand their experience because, you know, grief is, um, like we were talking about, it's so common, it's, it's universal. And at the same time, it can be so different. And sometimes it can feel like, uh, at that ritual that, that I was at, I was thinking about what you were saying of like, um, sometimes I feel like my grief is less than others or, um, that at that ritual, um, I remember Savan Fusome saying, um, now don't get like grief jealousy. Like, like that was a rule. Like the expectation was do not sit here like wanting for the grief that you hear from someone else. Interesting. Oh my God. I love that. (laughs) And, uh, and it was helpful to hear that because I'm like, Oh, other people experience that too. Well, yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. what I'm going to mess up his name if I try and say that, but what he said about like not comparing, essentially not comparing your grief to others. Yeah. She, Savan Fusume. Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, but I feel that is an impossible thing to do, especially in this world where we are so connected to each other digitally and on like Instagram and all we do is compare for better or worse. Like we do. Yeah. And I remember I had a conversation with someone who was telling me that people reached out to her on the anniversary of her fiance's death mm-hmm. as if like that was a bad day and the uh, and and the 364 days <laughs> leading up to that were you know cakewalks <laughs> and i i i tried to say to her like i fully get what you're where you're going with that but for me it was like it was like reliving every moment of that day. Mm. And I, so what do you think about that? Yeah, I think, um, you do. I mean, it is comparing yeah, experiences, yeah. you know? Absolutely. I, I think for me, the, the idea of, of anniversaries, death anniversaries, birthdays, special holidays, just like days, I think days. absolutely that I feel more impact at those times. Um, some of that is purely based on like the holidays, for instance, like yeah. have completely changed because yeah. I don't have home to go back to. Mm. So like just sort of the loneliness factor, like for me, um, I've been trying to focus on my, uh, sort of like family of choice and expanding, you know, um, and loving on my sister and my extended family more and feeling that community. Um, and at the same time, when I think about anniversaries, it tends to be sort of seasonal for me. Um, I've been learning about how we can just take in information from our body and um, our brain makes that connection without us even knowing any of it's happening. Like, uh, you know, my, my dad died, the anniversary is coming up next week. And even though it's been eight years at this point, um, because there are cues from my environment that feel the same, um, I've been feeling it a lot more heavily this year than I have in other years. Interesting. So, uh, one being that it's springtime bordering on summer. So just seeing, you know, sort of the pollen in the air and the sun shining and all these things that I love about this season, um, bring me back to that time. Um, and specifically this year, recently graduating with my master's really mirrored for me that graduation from undergrad in Oregon and 
And uh, almost more importantly, the emotional experience of that time, of the fear of the unknown and going out and just starting a new chapter. Yeah. And so for me now, you know, looking for work in psychotherapy, deciding on my next directions, um, which is in general a vulnerable experience for everyone, yeah. I think, um, just is coupled with this experience of not having the comfort of my mom or dad to turn yeah. to, um, and this just embodied like somatic experience of that loss. And um, like for me, I feel it actually right now, even as I'm talking, yeah. I feel it in my core like a hot molten yeah. ball just like weighing me down there. Yeah. And uh, because that's what I felt when I heard the news. I mean, grief is so visceral to me. I feel like when we are at, um, you know, it's funny that they say like at your lowest like I think about being like closer down to earth, like just down yeah. low, low, like yeah. just an experience of like really connecting with things that are yeah. beyond our awareness and comprehension that just feel deep. And, um, yeah. and so I feel more of those things, um, in relation to really both of them, but especially my dad in springtime, uh, late spring, early summer. Yeah. And especially with father's day coming up, yeah. um, you know, the commercials are ones that get me more. It's like, I can sort of plan and anticipate that there'll be this, like we refer to them as grief waves, yeah. this grief wave around those holidays. Yeah. Um, but it's those little ads that catch me off guard or um, just the bittersweet feeling of seeing other people's families and that enjoyment. Yeah. Um, in, in autumn, it's as the leaves start changing colors for me, that really connects me to that time with my mom and yeah. her death. And yeah. um, I... I think that in my experience, I do feel more tender and raw and connected to those feelings around anniversaries. And like you said, you know, every day, right. at least once I think about my mom and or my dad, right. um, especially in my work. So it's like a yeah, little, exactly. you like a little to. unfair. Yeah, yeah. I'm always thinking about um, right. death loss and bereavement and people who have experienced those things too. Um, and yeah. I think more than their deaths, I would say on a daily basis, I just think about them as people yeah. and my relationship with them. Yeah. Um, and I kind of have learned to sort of like that bittersweet experience of grief, um, because it feels like a cleansing, oh, like, I so get that. Yeah. There's like a real, yeah. a release that feels like I didn't realize I was just holding tight all yeah. the rest of the time. Yeah. Do you, okay. I have to like, I don't know how to like phrase this. So I have to, I'm going to talk this out. So, Stay with me. I associate happy occasions mm. with death. Mm-hmm. Meaning I'm... Ter- so my dad died very shortly after my wedding. Yeah. So anytime something good happens, now I think that like it is going to be succeeded by something awful. Yeah. Do you? Is that something you experience or have experienced? Do you feel that way with transitions? Mm. Mm. Like... Good, good question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a person who prefers slower transition yeah. and like marked occasions of transition. I think that's just who I am sort of culturally speaking. Yeah. I think that, um, I'm just in general, more of a depth than breadth person. So transitions are hard because, um, often they aren't marked and it's like, here you go, move yeah. on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I think, 
you know, maybe I'm assuming not as intensely as the way that you experience it, but I would think that graduation piece right before feels that way um, because of the timing with my dad's death. And for my mom, you know, I had mentioned that um, I was falling in love at that point. And falling in love, again, became really scary for me. Um, After that relationship, which, you know, that person went through so much with me, and um, ultimately it didn't work out. And I think not specific to the grief that I was experiencing. I'm sure that that was challenging. You know, I've heard you and John talking about the challenges of what it's like to be the supportive partner in that process. And, um, and so I know that that's a piece of it, but just sort of the fact that the rest of my life continues, the rest of our lives keep going. Yeah. And alongside, you know, my sort of wounded heart is, um, is still feeling tender and, um, so I think about, yeah, that aspect of falling in love right when uh, when my mom died. I feel like I've done a little more healing since then. It might be easier for me to say I'm in a relationship where I love my partner. And um, and so it feels easier to say, oh, I've healed that. But I wonder if, if I were to not be in that situation, would I feel differently? Um, yeah. Because I know when I was single, I was like, I really need to focus on my grief, yeah. focus on my self-care. And I have no idea if I'm going to have the courage to put myself back out there again. Um, Just the, the tenderness that it takes to be vulnerable, have, um, I mean, you know, baggage people want to say like the baggage or the scars or the wounds and still go forward and let people in and see those. Um, It takes a a lot of courage. Um, And I wonder, yeah, if I were in that situation looking again, if I would feel so healed in that area. Yeah. Well, I think you've done a pretty wonderful job of healing and I know that it's an ongoing process, but mm. I just I commend the lens through which you look at life and look at mm. grief and and how it clearly I can see how it impacts your relationships with people and and impacts your life and career choice and I just like I learned so much from this conversation. This was mm. supremely helpful for me. So mm. thank you. Do you oh, have any okay. words of wisdom? Oh, parting things to say. Things. Um, <laughs> parting things to say. You don't have to. I always ask that. But like, <laughs> I think um, take a risk and, and be vulnerable sharing this thing that you think is so dark and ugly that no one wants to look at it. I think... Um, that a lot more people than you think find beauty in, in those dark experiences. And, um, and that the more we show our vulnerabilities, um, the more likely people will want to connect with us. Um, and I know that's not true for everyone. Yeah. And I know I don't believe that statement all the time. (laughs) And, um, I think that that's, uh, the only way to build from the love that was in those relationships that we lost to our loved ones who died Mm -hmm. and have that foundation built to something, um, something more to make meaning, um, from these, in, in my opinion, like meaningless, terrible things that happened, um, to put meaning to them that feels good to us and share it. And always comes back to meaning for me too. Mm -hmm. I need, I need answers. I need meaning and, I love what you say about kind of defining it for yourself and putting it on you. 
So, yeah. Maren, thank you so much. This was like so special. Oh, Ruby, thank you so much. It's been really so great to, to hold this space. And um, I hope that people can listen and um, find connection in some way through it. Mm-hmm.